1: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance
0: Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
1: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
2: Well, hello, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, and welcome to Tennis Podcast Towers, where it is 12 minutes past one in the morning, and we've just watched the final match of day four of the Australian Open be completed, and that was Maria Zachary crashing out of the tournament to Alina Avanesian of Russia, a young 21-year-old and youthful Russian's is going to be a bit of a topic of conversation on this podcast, so watch out for that. We are going to start, though, I think, with Novak Djokovic, who's found himself on the ropes once again, big time, four sets once again for him tonight, very different match to the one he played two nights ago against Dino Prismic, but... A similar amount of genuine jeopardy, I would say. Alexi Popperin was a setter piece, doing sensational things with a sensation frenzied crowd, watching him on the Rod Laver arena. He had Xavier Melisse, didn't he, in his coaching box. He's a, a great presence, I think. I liked his energy in there. And he had four set points to take a two sets to one lead over Novak Djokovic and in Djokovic's own words in a very curtailed I thought on court interview with Jim Courier after that match he was asked you know what happened how did you turn it around and he said I didn't he turned it around for me he said he had an easy forehand and he missed it I was lucky how did you see it David from the commentary
0: booth it was it was fascinating as a, as a contest um Lots to it, I thought. Um, And and look, I take him at his word and I like that honesty from him uh, about that third set. And it seemed so unlikely after the first set because he looked like Novak Djokovic in that first set to me. He was in control. He was hitting his spots. And really, Poprin was hanging on. He held on to three service games and you sort of thought, okay, is that what it's going to take for you to be competitive here is is getting through juice games that's not sustainable and he lost that set and I thought it was over really and uh coming on to the second set which uh which I commentated on it turned around so dramatically because Djokovic's form just completely went there are certain tells, aren't there, with Djokovic. He starts to fall forward on his serve, and he looks a bit off balance with that, and I think some of it comes from the ball toss and so forth. But the rest of his game just fell apart. I, th- I think right at the end, I mean, Popperin got himself a break of serve and served for that set and just froze. He he completely froze. He He suddenly couldn't almost find the strings of his racket, and I described it in the last couple of points of that set, as a dog's dinner of a set from Novak Djokovic. And, and, and it really could have been that for both players. Um, and credit to Poprin for, for, for leveling the match at that point. And then it started to get really dicey for Djokovic because Poprin is a player that I've often thought, when he gets loose and when he gets inspired by a crowd... He's a seriously dangerous customer. And and he got himself into, well, not a winning position, but certainly he should have won that third set. And then, you know, I'm sure tonight he'll be lying down thinking what might have been because he didn't win that set.
2: He didn't look in full health, did he? I mean, we picked this, I mean, not, not just us. I think everybody uh, that went to his pre-tournament press conference or watched it could hear that he was snuffly and he was reaching for tissues in his pocket throughout this match. There was, I think quite a collection of tissues discarded in the Novak Djokovic area uh, throughout the course of this match. Uh, Thoughts and prayers with the uh, ball kids cleaning those up. Um, And he looks pale, doesn't he? He's got red rimmed eyes. He's clearly, he's clearly not quite right. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take away anything from the opponents that are facing him because they are a huge factor in what's happening here. The fact that he's 36 going on 37 might very well be a huge factor here. Father time is going to get him eventually. We don't know when it's going to be. We probably won't know that it's happening when it's happening. We will look back and be able to go, that was probably the moment that it started to happen. But... We don't know if this is this is it, but it's probably not. But he he's definitely not physically quite there, is, is he? And we don't know what's going on. He he he's almost certainly not gonna not gonna tell us how unwell he's feeling because that's giving something away to his next opponent, who, by the way, is Thomas Martinez Chaverry, who David sort of discovered this week. <laughs>
0: you are. <right. laughs> I was so impressed with the way he beat Andy Murray. Now, look, Andy Murray, age 36, is not Novak Djokovic, 36. They're poles apart. Um, and also, very's now beaten Gael Monfils today as well. So he's really going through the the, the mid-to-late yeah, 30-year-olds. the class
1: of 2005, yeah. he's well, just he, taking them all out.
2: He saved us and Gael Monfils from Monfils versus Djokovic, which <laughs> yes. I think maybe we all appreciate. <clears throat> I,
0: I, was, I was thinking, and I said it on the radio... That's two night session matches that Djokovic has just had. Just imagine if he was scheduled in the daytime, in two days' time, and it ended up being hot against Mar- Thomas Martin Echeverri, with Novak Djokovic not feeling 100% for whatever reason. Now, it does look like it's not going to be hot. As it turns out, he may well end up playing at night. But I just think that Echeverri, he can go all day, and he can he, he's a, a brute of a guy. And, and I just think he, he could be... He could be bad news for, for Novak Djokovic.
2: 29 degrees on Saturday. I mean, yesterday was only 30-31 on the bulb, wasn't it? And it was scorchio. Mm.
1: Yeah. I suspect Novak Djokovic will be putting all the pressure that he can on to, to try and get a night, an, another night session match. We know how much he, he prefers those and he does tend to get them. Um, but, I mean, what I said during this match as as the extra praise was flowing through on the whatsapp group from david i was i was thinking about it because you know I, I i really sort of trust david's david's take and read on these sorts of things and to me it's like there's absolutely no shortcuts against extra like and i think tonight against Popperin, okay Popperin played some really electric tennis and i was very impressed with a lot of his variety he was he was going, well, Andy Murray with the sort of short ball lob combo during the middle of the match. He just sort of played that beautifully at times. And he was moving Djokovic around the court and he had he had weapons. You know, it was all really good from Popper in for a lot of this match. But he also fell away in that fourth set and he didn't take his chances on the set points. And I I just don't think Echeverry will let you off the hook like that. Like, like you really have to beat him. And I guess what I was surprised by is that you know, Djokovic had a couple of days rest, didn't he? Because he played Sunday, his first match, and he played Wednesday today. I guess I was just expecting him to have recovered from whatever it was that he was feeling pre-tournament and in his first round match a bit more than he seemed to have done tonight. This this does seem to be lingering. So you you have to take it in to consideration for his next match. Like, it might still be there. And if he's feeling like that and he's playing... Thomas Martin Ekchevary it's it's going to be difficult for him. Uh, of course I still back him. It's Novak Djokovic, but um yeah, it's you're right it's, it's hard just to know what to read into these Djokovic matches because if he goes on and wins the title it will be like, oh well, he just, you know, he came through these tough moments like he always does. But if he does go out or if he is beaten by even someone like ic sinner later in the tournament. We might think mm, maybe the signs were there earlier on. Mm. So um yeah, it it just makes it just makes for a fascinating tournament really for Djokovic right
2: now. Do either of you think he will play a day session match at any stage during this fortnight?
0: I uh, I do. I do think he will. Um I think that may only be one. Um but but I do, yeah.
2: He, he might rather it be Etcheverry than Shelton, who it could be the round yeah. after that. I'm, I'm just thinking, I can't quite
1: remember how they do the quarterfinals, but if Alex de Menor keeps making his way through and gets to the quarterfinal against Sinner, I could imagine that would be their night session billing that day, and maybe Djokovic's quarterfinal against Fritz or sitzepass or whoever it ends up being could see that being a day session, maybe.
2: It's like Matt has tennis draws etched into his brain when they come out, isn't it? It's it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, I want to move on next to something that happened at the very start of the day. Um, And I can't think of a a good segue between these two matches other than to say I just I don't want this to get lost in the shuffle because... It was such a moment, such a, a result. Mira Andreva, 16 years old, already talked about for a full year by us and everybody else in tennis, 16, doesn't turn 17 till April and yet still already very well known to, to the tennis fans, tennis audience. Beat Jabur today, 6-love, six 6-2 six and no, that, the line wasn't at all misleading. It was every bit as one-sided, as that suggests, and possibly more. I'm sorry to do this to you, David, but you did say someone would get a schooling in this match, and... and
0: they did. And they
2: did. <laughs> yeah. They if, did. Let's just leave that there, shall <laughs> if we? If only
0: you'd been that vague <laughs> and said someone. No, I very clearly said that Ons would give Mira Andreva a schooling. And... I was wrong <laughs> because the opposite happened and uh and andreva i my my reasoning for that was some of the the spectacular drop shot returns that I saw from Jabir, and I also thought maybe Andreva might get a little bit sort of shell shocked by the occasion of facing her idol and somebody she's been waiting to play for a long time. And that was not the case at all. She was so composed and so ready to deal with whatever came away. I think she was nervous. She did say that, but it didn't manifest itself in a negative way in any in any way. Her, her senses were heightened. She she reminds me of a snooker player who's several shots ahead of what's going on at the the given time. She, she'll hit a shot. We were watching it on the TV here. These are not blisteringly powerful shots that're just perfectly placed to get an opponent off balance and they're ones that I haven't thought of as she's lining up for them a lot of the time and then you, when she plays them you're like oh yeah that's that was the right shot wasn't it she, she she doesn't play rally balls every
2: you pointed this out we all watched the match together it was uh the the start of the day was very much rain affected so there was only play happening uh, on the three courts, which uh, which are lucky enough to have a roof here in Melbourne. Uh, so we're all huddled around the TV watching. I've made it sound like we're living in some sort of hut. It's an absolutely delightful apartment. <laughs> we're all lounging around the TV watching this match. And David, you said just every single shot she plays has a purpose. It feels like it's part of a master plan. You know, all of the... Usual chess analogies that you can imagine—they're all there. She just she doesn't do rally balls, and it's, it's brilliant.
1: Mm. And 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 David, you you said that it reminded you of Martina Hingis, who who of course you know was so well known for her tennis IQ and her ability to sort of be one step ahead of of opponents and 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 doing it all in her teenage years as well, like like Andreva is, and I think. I think what struck me is that so often young player against their idol, as as you said, that's often a match to worry about a little bit, but Mira Andreva just brought such, and I'm sorry for this person who's always catching strays, but such anti-Kasparoud against Rafael Nadal energy. You know, it, there was no worry at all that Andreva, once the match got going, was even thinking about the fact that it was on down the other end. She was, she was playing her game and she wanted to win. And I was so impressed. And I think I've never, I've never really understood the Andreva to analogy in terms of playing style. But what I, what I would say is that we probably have said similar things about on in the past in that she's a step ahead of her opponents. You know, she's, she's, manipulating the ball around the court and maybe not beating players with brute force but sort of with her high tennis IQ and shot making and and Draver displayed those qualities today. I I I was absolutely blown away by this performance. There's such such safety and security hardwired in, you into her game. You just her, trust game.
2: her completely. You're not thinking god how long can she keep this up for? Yeah. You feel like she could stay out there six hours, yeah, and, and it's all so just deeply in her DNA mm-hmm. she's within herself somehow, and yet it's also quite spectacular to watch
1: yeah and and again, with Angebur, it does feel like she's playing on the edge a lot of the time, you know when it's going well, it's brilliant, but if there's if it's a bit tight it can it can get away from her quite quickly and you know that was very much a factor in in this one sided scoreline look I, as good as Andreva was it's as poor as a really top player can play i think from monster bur like she she did not show up she did not have anywhere i mean i wouldn't even say she had her c game you know it was
2: or her c attitude maybe not yeah. that she didn't want it she she was she was dialed in the desire is there but sort of channeling that in a in a positive way which obviously is incredibly difficult this is I'm speaking as somebody who is no stranger to a massive sulk um but the body language was awful awful out there wasn't it I mean I just I was sort of. I was wanting to look away. I found it genuinely very
0: hard to watch. Well, it did remind me of the Wimbledon final. It looked like somebody who was, just, was, was in some shock, really, that it was going like this. And the, the, the issue is, how do you stop thinking about the last time that you felt like that? How do you find mm. a way to, to win matches from that situation and, and stop it tail-spinning? in the future it's it, it must be quite traumatic, really especially somebody like her who is so clear about how much it means to her and how much she wants to achieve the thing you know the winning of a grand slam and uh these these results are not just about ending an opportunity now they potentially damage an opportunity in the future and it's not cast iron i hope for her sake that she gets over it and finds ways to deal with those situations but um it's not it's not ideal
2: i know we love about on strabo the fact that she so states her ambitions and desires and plans in in the sport she she not only put the venus rose water dish as the lock screen on her phone she told us that she put the venus rose water dish as the lock screen on her phone and for us is broadcasters and people trying to gain an insight into to the sport and its players and pass that on to all of our listeners. That's a gift. She's, she's a gift to us in that respect. But just in terms of her, I know it's, it's, it's the most off-putting language for journalists, but there is a reason that so many top tennis players talk about and use the phrase process, not outcome. I have heard the phrase process, not outcome. I mean, I've heard it from Tim Henman a million times and I glaze over every time. (laughs) But there's a reason they're saying it, right? There's a reason all the sports psychologists are saying it. It works. It matters. It's important that you focus on doing the right things rather than the end result of those right things. If If you're doing the right things, the results will come and you just have to trust that. And it does make me anxious for Ons Jabur that she is so outcome focused. And I know we're gonna do a a proper discussion of the the documentary that she's done um at some point over this fortnight. We haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I have seen the clip of her saying again, laying herself incredibly bare for us and saying that she she wanted to win the Wimbledon title because then she would have achieved her dream and could leave the sport to have a baby. She could let herself have a baby if, if she had, if she'd got over that hurdle. And I just, it, it stresses me out to watch this woman that's trying to achieve something, not only because she so desperately wants to cheat to achieve it, but also because then she'll be able to allow herself to have something that she so desperately wants. And, it's just a lot. It's a lot watching on Chabert at the moment and I, I feel for her and I, I wish her well. And just back to Androva, it didn't half underline how incredible her performance was today. The fact that the girl, I was going to say woman because you should, but they are girls. They are They are children. They're 16-year-olds. The girl that beat her in last year's Junior final here at the Australian Open less than twelve months ago. Lena uh two months younger than Mir Andreva, they were great rivals in juniors, played doubles together, good friends. I think she was blown away by Beatrice Hadad-Meyer. 6-1, 6 six one six two. I commentated on this match. It was scheduled on the fifteen seventy three arena, and it was it was moved onto Rod Laver Arena because there was a gap, and lots of matches were delayed because of all the Torrential rain. Thanks very much, Melbourne, for that. Um, and, you know, I was bigging it up as we've seen one incredible teenager, Russian teenager, do absolutely awe-inspiring things on this court. And Corneva will have watched that and she'll have been inspired by it and motivated by it. So what can she do? She beat her 12 months ago in the final and she couldn't do much. Quite frankly, there was a golf in... Class, in experience, in composure. And of course, Alina Kornaeva is 16 years old and making her Grand Slam debut. And she stayed; she made the decision to stay in the juniors that little bit longer than, uh, than Andre. But she played French Open juniors last year. She won French Open juniors and then started making her transition at the back end of last year. But it didn't half underline what Andreva had achieved earlier on in the day. Um, While that match was happening on Rod Arena over on the second court, Coco Goff managed to get herself into a bit of trouble against Caroline Dollahide, who served for the first set, failed to serve it out, got into a tie break. Coco Goff won that and took over. But it's very difficult to know what to make of Coco Goff winning ugly because that's what she did at the tournament where she's She had her best result and went on and won it, so maybe this is good <laughs>
1: yeah that's that's kind of the dilemma that I had in my mind as well. like it does seem to be her sort of DNA as a tennis player at the moment that she doesn't have her best game, and yet she's having the best results of her career coming through these matches. And I'm just sort of waiting for it all to click. I'm, I'm waiting to watch a Coco Gauff match and think, wow, like she is really playing well. I, I can't really remember the last time that I felt that. I, I Probably just before the US Open, actually. I think she came into the US Open in brilliant form. And that form didn't perhaps always carry through to her matches in New York. But the resolve that she'd built, built up and the the trust in the other parts of her game that she'd built up just saw her through that tournament and, and continued to see her through matches. Um, but there is a part of me that is waiting for the player who is playing really well to face her and beat her. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's really downplaying what Coco Goff is doing. I think she is perhaps, you know, not playing her best tennis, but maybe forcing other players to not play their their best tennis as well. She's she's mentally hand, handling situations so impressively. Look, it wasn't wasn't all bad today. There were you know the, there certainly were good good parts to her game, but we know how capable she is, and I just don't feel like we're seeing that 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 top level. Uh, but it's you know it's probably the most important skill to have as a as a tennis player to be able to win when you're not playing at your best. And Coco Gauff has totally mastered that and has already won a Grand Sam title by doing that. So, um, you know, things are good for her.
2: Mm. No one's ever won a Grand Slam title playing perfect tennis for seven, seven matches, have they? Uh, Caroline Garcia has been unable to play perfect tennis for more than one match. She is out. She lost today to Magdalena Fret. Is that the right I, I wasn't expecting to do quite as big a flourish on the pronunciation as I you ended up it. doing there but uh there we are uh had a break in both sets of this lost in straits
1: yeah and look i think
2: <laughs> maybe just the sigh is enough <laughs> maybe we move on
1: well i mean i've i've, I've just read some quotes she's given to le keep where she's she's spoken about the fact that kind of what we speculated about you know she was very nervous against Osaka she said but she also felt like she had nothing to lose you know she said if I lost to Nomi Osaka I'm not the story Coco Gold um Naomi Osaka winning would have been the story all of that and she played brilliantly in that match against Osaka but today she said I had a lot to lose and the, and the pressure was all on me. And she said she struggled with her breathing on court, which is something that's really affected her, you know, recently. And, and she's talking about the fact that, you know, she has considered taking a break and, you know, because she just is struggling. Um, but it's such a shame because she was so good against the soccer. Oh,
2: it was unplayable.
1: Yeah. And you, and you always want someone to just, you know, who mm. made a big impression in a draw to just carry it on. And yeah. I God, It's a tough I feel sport a, isn't it It's
2: it a is. tough old sport um, Speaking of which Sabalenka has crushed another teenager Today A slightly less One-sided scoreline But I do Think I'm stealing Matt's line here Sabalenka should not be allowed To play uh, What did you say Shouldn't be allowed to play Children with thigh strapping Anymore <laughs> It's just not It's just Doesn't fair. Doesn't look fair Does it It's it's no. and it it is just something about the way Sabalenka plays, doesn't it? The ruthlessness, the
0: the brute power of it. Um, it it just looks cruel. You 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 can play well against her with a certain kind of game, and she can just absolutely take you apart, um, knock you off the court. For instance, I I, I kind of feel like Amira andreva is good as she is as a tennis player at the moment she might still get knocked off the court by Irina Sabalenka even if she's playing well because it's just it's not normal that sort of level of power uh, that not everybody has that and and when she's really on she's not only a hard hitter but she's so talented at getting angles and yeah she, she's looking really good. She is I, I do think her draw now gets a little bit
1: more interesting. Um, she's got Lesia Shirenko in the next round, who I think we always class as a little bit tricky. There's obviously the, the fact that she's a Ukrainian player coming up against Sabalenka. Mm. There will be that aspect to that match.
2: More guaranteed thigh strapping.
1: <laughs> From Shirenko. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if she wins that, she will face the winner of Paula and Amanda Nisimova. And... Anisimova has a very good record against Arena Sabalenka. I mean, it was here at the Australian Open five years ago where as a 17 year old, Anisimova like completely blew me away in in the way that she deconstructed the Sabalenka game and beat her for the loss of just a few games. Um, And then she did it again at the French Open a few months later. Like she's got a good record against Sabalenka and, I don't know what to make of Powder Badosa. I'm just very pleasantly surprised that she's playing well again. She sounds pretty surprised. Um, and most importantly her back is is holding up so far. She, had, uh, she you know she doesn't quite know how she's going to pull up I think the day after all these matches after so little tennis. But I was pretty impressed with with what I saw today uh, against Pavlyuchenkova. We made a we made a point of trying to get some eyes on that match and and watch Badosa and yeah I thought I wouldn't compare the level to what she had a couple of years ago, but it was an awful lot better than what she was playing mm. last year when, you know, when she was playing. Um, so it's just, it's just an interesting little section of the draw, that, I think.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of matches there that I would, I would definitely go out of my way to watch. Um, Caroline Wozniacki is out. Uh, she lost to Mir- uh, Maria Timofeva, who's uh, a player I commentated on in the first round when she beat Elise Corne, came back from losing the um, the first set today to beat Caroline Morsignacchi on the John Kane Arena. So it's not been a great tournament for the comebacks, for the big comeback stories. I know Radicanu's still in. Um, you know, she, she only won the one round. Don't want to get carried away with that one, but by and large i mean look these players coming back they they have protected rankings but that doesn't do that doesn't get them a seeding so they're facing they're facing tough players aren't they and and it's tough out there there's an awful lot of really really good tennis players the depth is is pretty special so uh, yeah caroline moznyakie out and i am awarding sensation of the day to storm hunter and I think that's pretty unequivocal, right? She beat Laura for Siegman sure. today. She managed to stay sane <laughs> throughout the experience, broadly. Sensation of the day uh, goes to Storm Hunter's who's into the third round.
1: Yeah, first time ever into the third round of a major in, in singles for Storm Hunter. Um, I mean, those two are... <laughs> They're opposite people, really, mm. aren't they? Um, Siegmund is, is you know, as discussed on, on previous podcasts, very close to the line of of what's acceptable. Mm. And, you know, I think Stormhunter would probably win all the sportsmanship awards. You know, they're just very different in different that sense. Different approaches to the game. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, this was a fun match, you know, to two players probably most at home comfortable on the doubles court so you've got a lot of variety a lot of fun rallies and a, a nice bit of revenge for Storm Hunter because of course uh, Siegmund beat Hunter in that absolutely epic United Cup mixed doubles semi-final yes. just, just a couple of weeks ago when um, when Germany beat Australia they were both on the doubles court against each other and it was phenomenal uh, so nice for, for Hunter to get one over her today
2: Yeah, the Aussies just love Storm Hunter. She's She's great. If if they could have sort of factory-made a (laughs) a player to cheer on, I think it would be Storm Hunter. So uh, I think those are the critical women's results dealt with. Just before we circle back to the men, obviously we've already discussed Novak Djokovic, I'm going to tell you about our sponsors. We are proud to be sponsored by... On location throughout the Australian Open. On location are, of course, the premium hospitality and experience provider. For the first time ever, on location, as we've been telling you, will be the official hospitality provider of the Olympic and Paralympic Games Paris 2024. That means that you can gain unparalleled access to the Olympic Games When they happen in Paris from Friday, 26th of July to Sunday, the 11th of August, 2024, including access to the ultimate in hospitality with an exclusive invitation to Clubhouse 24 in the iconic Palais de Tokyo set against a backdrop of the Eiffel Tower. Located within proximity of key Olympic Games venues and convenient metro access, Clubhouse24 is included with your choice of event ticket. That is one of my favourite things about the Olympics. In a crowded field, the fact that it takes over a whole city and all its landmarks. I always remember the uh, Olympic rings being erected onto Tower Bridge in London and I went to see them going up. It was very special. Uh, You can get access to a Parisian-inspired food market in the tradition of French open-air markets with multiple catering stations which will offer the best of French French and international specialities. Uh, You can gain access to interactive sporting activities that bring out your inner Olympian no effort needed, uh, with a variety of physical and virtual reality activities and games. Um, To be honest, tickets or no tickets, I might get to Paris just for that. You can also catch the latest competitions via large screen monitors. Uh, You can get access to guest concierge and and a support desk, which features on-locations on-site hospitality support staff who will be available to assist or simply answer any question you might have. And you get access to live entertainment and appearances, enabling you to enjoy live musical performances, athlete and special guest appearances, and watch demonstrations, and of course, much more. Just go to tours4tennis.com forward slash podcast and select Olympic Games Hospitality. That's tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. Packages can be purchased there, or a dedicated on-location team member can contact you directly to create your perfect
0: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
2: So, circling back to the men's event, I f- it feels like time to talk about the best tennis player in the world, Thomas Mahatch. He's only gone and come good for us.
0: I mean, he really does look like the best tennis player in the world when he's playing like that. Um, No offence, Novak Djokovic. We know you're the greatest, right? But in isolation, just to the eye test, I mean, it's something we joke about because we've seen him play a single rally on a side of a court that took our breath away to the point where we were anointing him the best tennis player in the world. He played three sets today against Francis Tiafoe That were just gasp-inducingly good. I don't know what else to say. I mean it's it, he he's got everything when he's playing like that. Uh, he, I think when when I the first time I ever saw him was when he played against Dan Evans and it was in the Davis Cup and Evans I think he held serve his first service game took about six juices. Hmm. And he was trying to serve and volley against him. And he was getting passed off the clean return like it was Andre Agassi down the other end of the court. And I love that style of tennis. A great returner who's got got a good hand-eye coordination. He's got a gorgeous backhand, all the rest of it. And he, he beat Evans that day. And I've looked out for him ever since. He's not really done much, to be honest. He hasn't really come good. And then suddenly today, you two both saw him and... Let's let's say we, we were all on the same page, right?
2: Yeah, I mean I'm fully in on the bit about him being the best tennis player in the world. We were all there together watching him practice last year and we were all jaws on the floor, and yet also in the back of my mind throughout throughout every time that Thomas Mahatch comes up is something that Matt Futterman said to us earlier. He's twenty three years old, he hasn't had big injury layoffs or anything. Where's he been? If he's this good, where's he been and what's he been doing and why has he not made himself more relevant? And I know tennis isn't simple and linear like that, but like kind of not at all. He hasn't made himself, there haven't really been any moments at all. He's incredibly niche as a tennis interest, maybe less so after today, Um but yeah, he like what's he been playing at? I can't after what I've seen today, I don't understand how someone so good has not been making any impact on the upper echelons of the game.
1: Yeah, how can there be seventy four players ranked above him? I mean he, he you know, because you're right, it like it is a bit, it still is a bit, but it's fun that it sort of started out as a bit and it might <laughs> it might actually have legs have legs exactly he, and he's, he's got definitely legs.
2: he's definitely got legs <laughs> and he wants us to know about it
1: <laughs> yeah he uh, he is of the short shorts brigade on on the atp tour and honestly like his legs are part of what makes him such a good player the way he um defends from corners and, and can hit attacking shots There was a couple of passing shots today he hit at sort of full stretch which you you know which require, requires incredible leg strength Um, but yeah I mean this was his first ever top 20 win Um, it's it's into the third round here for the first time I just love watching him play he's such a shot maker he takes the ball so early which I think is impressive and causes opponents problems he's got good hands up at the net yeah, I just think there's so much to like. I was impressed a couple of times today, he got broken he got broken back in the second set and just immediately responded by breaking again. And he went down a break in the third set and got it back straight away. Like he just responded well to the to the really high pressure big moments. Um there was a game he played to break Tiafo in the second set, which honestly was a rival to Sophia Kennin's game in from Love Forty down in in the 2020 Australian Open final. He, I mean, today Mahatch hit five clean winners. And it, look, I know Tiafo hasn't been at his best in the last few months, but it does always take me back when someone can sort of become the main character against Francis Tiafo And and that is what Mahatch did today with his his brilliant tennis. Um, So, look, I just hope we get to see more and more of him because he's such a good watch.
2: It is amazing when someone can do that just with their tennis because he's not at all demonstrative on the court, is he? No, he's he, not. He
1: sometimes, a couple of times today, tried to get the crowd involved. Was it like but, a
2: headman fist pump? Like, yeah, I feel like I should do this.
1: They weren't following his lead, really. But that. they loved his tennis they by loved the end. They his were
2: tennis. in raptures by the end. The guy hit a jumping forehand. A feet off the ground, jumping forehand (laughs) on match point. And speaking of clutch, I managed to capture the exact (laughs) moment. Mm. Um,
0: I I, I was quite taken by his on-court interview because he's clearly very aware of how good he is and how good he's supposed to be Mm. and hasn't been. And that on this day, he put it all together. And what a lovely feeling it was! And he, you could see the relief in his mm. in his features and in his delivery that finally I've put all this together, and maybe maybe this is the start of something.
1: And 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 he won and he won an awful lot of challenger matches at the end of last season. You know, which obviously isn't the same as doing it on on the ATP tour. But there is something to be said, I think, for just accumulating a lot of wins. You know, it's not. It's not that rare that someone makes a big jump from having won a lot on the Challenger Tour to suddenly winning a lot on the ATP Tour. And it it seems like he's doing that. I I spoke to him at the Davis Cup Finals and said, I I basically said, "Where, you know, why aren't you better? You know, I, I didn't say it in those exact terms, but he was talking a lot about mindset. You know, I think exactly as you say, he knows he's got the game, but putting it all together is something that he was still figuring out how to do and gosh I just I just hope he he has actually figured it out because I love watching him I believe he's got Karen Hachinov next which looks tough Mm. Karen Hachinov's very good at these slams it's a hard
2: court grand slam
0: yeah and he just keeps on coming which
2: means we're not talking about him but he's probably going to reach the semi-finals (laughs) um we're going to continue not talking about him. I think he won today. He, <laughs> well, he must have won because he plays so much for Hatch. Um, Yannick Sinner also won today. I mean, he's just cruising, isn't he, Sinner? He lost just six games today to, to Jesper de Jong, um, who, OK, um, we don't know much about. Jesper de Jong. And we'd expect Yannick Sinner to beat him. But it is... It is. It does feel like a corner turn for Sinner just to be taking care of business in the opening rounds of slams. Like it's just routine for him. Like this, Taylor Fritz cruised as well today. He he needed to cruise after what he went through in the opening round. Hugo Gaston won just four games against him. It's not great, that is it. No. But but Paris is coming, <laughs> Hugo. It's not the clay. The clay is not too far away. Andre Rublev was very comfortable today against Chris Chris Eubanks, who's who's having a tough time, isn't he? Really, since since Wimbledon, um, it's uh, it's been tough for him to to string results together. And then we had two seeded players avoiding sensational comebacks. We had Ben Shelton, who <laughs> who looked to be cruising against Chris O'Connell, and then. And then you realised actually Chris O'Connell had got Ben Shelton right where he wanted him because he flipping loves to come back from two sets to love down in this that sort of environment, and he he gets it to two sets to one, and he's he's right on at him, isn't he? Uh, we, in fact, we had a message on Instagram saying I'm worried about Shelton here. How worried were you about Shelton, Matt?
1: Honestly, not massively because, well. It did feel like the Chris Chris O'Connell thing to do, to have a bit of a comeback but not come all the way back. You know, we have we have seen that before. And also I think Shelton quite enjoyed being out there on on the John Kane arena. He he doesn't mind that environment. He doesn't he mind it, having having the crowd even against him. He he, he wants an atmosphere, he wants he wants a show, and you know he, he spoke about how it was nowhere near as hostile out there as, as some of the college tennis environments that he's played in. Um, I suppose I got a little bit worried for him when he when he did miss his match points. You know that's always a worry if you can't convert them. Uh, but he but he sort of knuckled down and, and managed to win it in the tie break instead. And yeah, there, there does seem to be a bit of a Ben Shelton phenomenon at the moment because. Uh, I was speaking to Matt Futterman the other day, who was on court three when Ben Shelton beat Roberto Bautista Agut. And at the end of the match, apparently a lot of people were saying, Ben, do the phone thing, do the phone thing. Like, people know about it. It's, it's a trademark. And we met a lovely tennis podcast listener today, Riley, who uh, was out on the John Kane Arena. And she said that she was one of those people at the end of the match saying, Ben, do the phone thing. Um, so, you know, he's he's sort of got got something to live up to now, mm. I suppose. Um, and look, he's he's on a collision course, isn't he, with with Novak Djokovic in the fourth round? I think I think everyone wants to see that match. Um, and I sort of have been impressed with Shelton. You know, he's mm. he's, he's passed a couple of eight different tests there: Roberto Bautista and Christopher O'Connell, and uh, he's. He's using the, the sort of full depth of his game to do it. So uh, yeah, just good vibes.
2: And David, you commentated on Stefanos Tsitsipas against Jordan Thompson, or large large parts of Tsitsipas uh, against Thompson. When a set down, did not he sit to pass and won the next two? Looked like he was in control, and then suddenly he finds himself in a in a fourth set tiebreak, and it all feels like it's it's on the line again. He's a
0: He's an awkward customer, isn't he Thompson? He is, and I think he's playing the best tennis of his career right now he 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 really packages his game well, and really he should have been in a fifth set today um It was such a strange match all over the place in terms of momentum shifts and really sits pass at times early on he looks like he's there for the taking he loses the first set um It was a tie-break in the second set, and he he could have found himself two sets to love down. And and then after that tie-break set, he suddenly relaxed and reminded you how he got to the final last year. He was awesome in the third set, and I thought, has he just played himself into form? Because if he's played himself into form, this is a guy who could go deep into the second week. Wins that set, starts doing the same thing in the fourth set, gets himself to two match points on his own serve, 40-15 gets broken and at that point you just you don't understand what's happened to him and, and, if, and I mean I'm afraid maybe his back was hurting but all this tinkering, tinkering around with the serve he can't rely on the thing what was he doing with the serve it, it seemed to be a bit of a mixture sometimes he was doing the platform thing with keeping his feet still sometimes he was doing the little step up but it was not going in very often I'm telling you that um,
2: have you ever seen that before a no. player sort of switching between no, I, two I, quite I, different service motions no, in a match.
0: I, th- I think he's I think he's really I really don't don't understand what he's what he's been trying other than the fact that maybe the back pain is try, making him try to make allowances etc then Thompson gets ahead in the set and has numerous set points and and really talking to one or two people in the Australian camp of, of of former players, it, it seems that this is a, a problem for him playing his very best tennis once he's set up the chance and he's got the set point. Because he just couldn't he just wasn't making reliable shots and getting getting asking enough questions. There were loads of set points, I can't remember how many he d- he ended up losing in four. And Fair play to him. He 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 put up a good show, but Sizapass would have been relieved. He was very very warm about the crowd afterwards. It's it's testing, but he said, "This is you know what I always wanted when I was a kid. When I was to playing crowds, front of crowds like this, set three level. He could be he could be dangerous, but he just it doesn't feel repeatable at the moment."
2: So Jordan Thompson out of the wokest tournament in the world. that's, that's what he called the Australian Open the other day.
1: Oh dear! All, the, all those fans getting to watch their tennis. What a way! <laughs> yeah, that was in tournament. response
2: to a question about fans being able to come and go after every game, and the Cincinnati Slam is on. It is called it early, guys. <laughs> <laughs> called it early, and that's about your lot from day four at Melbourne Park. I'll with you through tomorrow's schedule. Labor starts at midday. Svontek against Daniel Collins. Then Sonigo uh, up against Alcaraz. Rabakina Blinkova kicks off the night session. And it's Emil Rusevori against Daniel Medvedev. Now, that, that, there's a reason why Emil Rusevori hasn't been able to make himself a factor up to this point in his career. Um, and maybe that reason will be present tomorrow night. Probably will be, but... I will say that I quite often watch Rosavori and am incredibly impressed and think, "What? why aren't you better? I've never quite asked him the way Matt's asked Thomas Mahatch.
0: Um, <laughs> Tomorrow's the day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, maybe tomorrow will be the day. But I will make a point of going out to watch that I think unless it's a total blowout and then I'll pretend I never said this on a podcast Um, the second court tomorrow starts with sensation Max Purcell against Casper Rude. then Clara Burrell of France takes on Jessica Pagula night session is Holger Rune against Arta Cazor the French wildcard and then uh, one of David's favourites that he's recently dropped like a hot potato Clara Towson against Victoria Azarenka. Haven't mentioned her in a while. She's David. just in my
0: reserves, Catherine. Right.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, John Kane Arena sees Alexander Zverev against Lucas Klein of Slovakia. A qualifier, Sloane Stephens against Daria Kazakina. She's been doing some good tweeting recently, Kazakina. We, we like her. mm She's she's good people. Grigol Dimitrov against Thanasi Kokanakis is third on, and then Yelena Ostapenko against Ayla Tomjanovic. So potentially scrub what I said about Medvedev Savori because I will be divert, diverting all my attention to that match. Uh, I
1: mean, Ostapenko Tomjanovic last on the John Kane Arena after a Kokanakis match
2: could be a riot. <laughs> And then we have the brick court tomorrow. That's the 1573 Arena. Cam Norris up first there. Jung Xinwen Wen against Katie Bolter. And Emirada against Wong Yifan there. And Felix Auger, Aliassim rounding things off on that court. We have our mascots. David has Francis. I have Darwin, Matt has Hyda and Soma. Hello to you all. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff. And we're actually not going to do shout outs today. Um, you might have noticed, you might not have, and that's absolutely fine if you haven't, but we we've perhaps been a little bit subdued this evening and that is because just a few hours ago we got some uh really really shocking and pretty devastating news not just for us but for the for the whole media room uh in, in tennis and here at the Australian Open and in particular for the for the British section of that media room and that is that the Daily Mail's long standing tennis correspondent Mike Dixon passed away suddenly in the night last night it is it's very difficult for us to process just at the moment. Mike has been an ever present for my whole career in tennis. And I know that goes for, for you as well, David, and your career goes a lot further back than mine. And, um, yeah, to say that he was much admired, uh, I think would be a tremendous un- understatement. I mean, it's just the most tremendous loss.
0: It really is. Um, it's nearly 30 years ago that I first met Mike, and I'd been reading his work for years before that. He was, frankly, a, a bit of a hero of mine as a, from the tennis journalism um, fraternity. I remember reading an article about him and the other travelling journalists in a magazine called Servant Volley back in 1995, and it detailed how they would travel the world and and he was one of the ones pictured there, and um, and I always remember he, back at that time he he had he had really good relationships with the players. He could get interviews that other people couldn't, and and I and I would read them, and I would really enjoy them. And and then to come to work with him, or, or to at least be a colleague of his, I realized why. You know, he he was, to my mind, the gold standard of. Of journalism in tennis, and that has been the case ever since I've worked in it. He was the person whose articles I would read first, because I I always knew I'd probably find out something I didn't know, even though I worked in the sport. And um, the players that he dealt with respected him. I found out this news, this shocking news whilst I was on air on BBC Radio and I found it out from a message from Dan Evans because he knew him well and had been interviewed by him many, many times and, and he was in shock about it and and he, and he respected him, he liked him and that went, I think, for all of us. Um, Mike was somebody who, whose opinion I would sort of seek and whose view... I guess almost of me I would hope to to, to cover I wanted to know if he thought I was doing a good job sometimes and 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 I would want to know what he thought about things because because I respected him so much and and you know when he did give praise it really really left a mark because he, he didn't just give it out to any anybody for any old thing once a, once upon a time once or twice he would tell me off if he didn't think i'd done something or I had, or i was wrong about something he would gently tick me off you know um but even even a few weeks ago when when news reached him that my dad had passed away he sent me a note just a little note and and kind of let me know that that it would it would get easier to to come to terms with um in time and and that meant a great deal to me at the time um, and it still does. And uh, and the press room I- I- tomorrow is going to be one of shock. And we're all struggling, really, to come to terms with this news. And our thoughts really go out to his family. He has a wife. He has three children. Um, and he- he's going to be missed terribly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, David. Lucy, Sam, Ruby joe his his wife and children it's um it's devastating and um we're thinking we're thinking of them and uh yeah thank you for thank you for bearing with us on this show and uh we're gonna keep doing them it's gonna be great it's gonna it's gonna be a great tournament but right right now it's uh it's tough for us so thank you for listening we're gonna raise a glass to mike and we'll speak to you tomorrow